Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now, you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. I'll be sharing the message tonight. We're going to continue with uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, I will catch up with you in a few moments. I actually look back on YouTube and, and we're at about the three-month mark that we've been doing the Sermon on the Mount. So we started out you know, with the nine Beatitudes and then we talked about salt and light. You're the salt of the earth and the, the light of the world. That, then we talked about... Uh, Anger, you know, thou shall not kill, but he said, he said, it's been said, thou shall not kill. But I say, if you even have anger towards somebody, that, that you already committed murder in your heart. Amen? And then we, we talked last week, Pastor had a message on adultery where he talked about morality. So tonight, uh, we're going to continue on in this Matthew chapter 5 and, and talk about walking in love. So we're going to try to knock out the next kind of three paragraphs or next three thoughts here. And, and the subtitle of this is Divorce. Lying and revenge. Amen? So it's going to be kind of a, a fun, heavy-duty uh, message here tonight, but we've got to dig into the Word. You know, obviously Jesus was talking here. You know, Jesus was the King of Kings, right? Or he still is the King of Kings. And so when he was talking to, the, to his disciples and to all the other people, when he was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, he was really telling them, this is how the kingdom of God operates. So when we're reading this, that's, that's the premise that you've got to use, is, is there's this world system, you know, that, that you know, we Pastor and I were talking earlier, it was four to five hundred years between the time of Malachi and the time that Jesus had spoke. So again, there wasn't any prophet in the land for, you think about that. America is almost 250 years old. Imagine, you know, not having heard from God other than the Torah. They had the, the you know, the law. But other than that, they hadn't heard from God for four to 500 years. So imagine, you know, the state of affairs that, that they were in. And imagine the uphill battle that Jesus had to fight. Amen. So again, he's, he's the king of kings and he's coming to, to share with them about what his kingdom is operating light. And I know like, you know, the divorce, lying, and revenge, it, it sounds like a soap opera, right? So we're going we're gonna to dig in here tonight. But before we get in, I'm going to preface this. Obviously, we have, you know, all different walks of life. We've got single people. We've got married people. We've got people that have probably been through divorce. And again, here's the deal. We're at where we're at right now. There's no condemnation here whatsoever. We're here and now, you know, the Apostle Paul says, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forth to those things which are before, right? We need to, we need to have healing in our lives. You know, God, it's always a about restoration. It's about restoring our relationship first and foremost with God and then restoring our relationships with one another. And, and again, as we talk here, that's what it's all about is, is relationships. That's the thing. And, and I'm going to say this again at the end, but here's the deal. If anybody's struggling, marriage can be difficult, right? We, we have all these different backgrounds. You know, I was, I think, 30 years old when, when Melissa and I got married. And you, you talk about 30 years. I was 28 when I got saved, so I had 28 years of stinking thinking, right? I was just a, a product of my environment. She was a product of her environment. Environment, and then you put those two environments together, you know, and then you're trying to make it work. So again, if, if you're struggling in any relationships or whatever, reach out for help. You know, pastors are here. Melissa and I are here. Again, we, we've got different resources for you and whatnot. Again, you know, it, it's no fun struggling in life. But again, the main thing is, is being here and hearing the word of God, because that's the number one thing that's going to change our lives. Amen? Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, it says this. It says, furthermore, it has been said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you that whosoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So again, context matters, right? Pastor always says, you know, who's speaking, who's being spoken to, and what's the context here, right? So, so at the time, here's what was going on. Basically, Jesus was, was correcting or, or, you know, redirecting Deuteronomy 24, which we'll go to in a moment. But, you know, among the Jews at the time, marriage was very sacred. It was very highly esteemed. But women were not. So you can only imagine the conflict. A, a Bible scholar said this. He said the Jews had a very low view or a low uh, estimation of women. A, a wife was bought, regarded as property, used as a household servant, and dismissed at pleasure. Now, I didn't say that. The Bible scholar said that. Right? Amen. So, you know, make sure we're on the same page here. But this low view of women... And the high view of marriage, obviously it caused a conflict and a, and a compromise, which typically really always favored the men. That's how it went. So men could really do whatever it is that they wanted to do, you know, and the female, the wife just had to go right along with it. That's just how it was at the time. So that's the context of Jesus explaining what he's explaining here. You know, the, the, the wife was... Um, you know, dependent on the, on the husband for her financial needs and all that. So again, if she got a certificate of divorce and was put out, she was pretty much on her own and, and it wasn't going to probably go very well for her. So again, that's the context of when he's talking here. So you don't have to turn to Deuteronomy 24, but, but this is what he's going back and, and he's really talking about it. And it says, verse 1, it says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it came to pass that she found no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness, and that's the word we're going to focus on here, but he's found some uncleanness in her, and then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. So this word uncleanness. So at the time, there was, there was two different schools of thought. You know, one school of thought on this side was that uncleanness was sexual immorality. And that was the only reason for divorce under the law of Moses. That was it. But on this other hand, on, on you know, the second way, they looked as, at uncleanness as anything, and I mean anything, that displeased the husband. And this was from one of the writings of, of an ancient rabbi. I found this. That he, he said at that time, if, if you had that second type of thought process, that, that anything that displeased the husband, he could give his wife a, a writ of divorce. He said it was cons, uh, considered valid to divorce his wife if she cooked a bad dinner. That was one thing. It was valid for divorce if she spoke to another man in the street. It was valid for divorce if she, if she spoke disrespectfully of his parents and he heard her. It was valid for divorce if, if uh, they spoke in an argument, if they got into an argument and the next door neighbor, they heard them. And finally, it was valid for, for divorce if he found somebody else that he was thought more, was more favorable or, or, or prettier. He could put his current wife out so you can imagine what the times are. You know, nowadays it's, I think, around 50% of marriages end in divorce. It was actually even way higher back then. And you can imagine why, right? After hearing this. The wives were basically slaves in the household. Amen? And so again, that's the context. So again, we've got these, these two different ways of thinking. Under one way of thinking, uncleanness meant sexual immorality. And under the second way of thinking, it meant anything that displeased the husband. But under, you know, Jesus came and, well, first of all, imagine this. You know, let me paint you a picture. If, if you're living at that time and you're a man, 
Which one of those two do you imagine that the men are going to choose? This one over here? Or, or, or they could put their wife for, out for anything, right? As things regress and, you know, God hasn't spoke for four or 500 years, they were picking number two, right? That, that he could put them out for any reason. But that's why Jesus came and, and here's what he was saying. He said, God never intended for you to divorce your wife because she was a bad cook or, or doesn't like your parents or isn't as pretty as you'd like. Right? It was, it was meant for when the marriage covenant was so broken by infidelity that it could not be restored any other way. But what do we talk about here? The, the goal is always restoration. Say restoration. That is always the goal. Galatians 6.1, just listen to this because I found it in the message translation. I, I thought it was so powerful. It says, if someone falls into sin, here, listen to this, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself. Think about that. Saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Amen? You know, pastors taught on the, the speck in your eye and the log in the other person's eye. Again, it's, it's always about restoration. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some different things here. But again, that is always the goal. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. And, and I'm going to prove to you here that that divorce was permitted, but it was not commanded. Okay, it was permitted, but not commanded. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 through 9, he's dealing with the Pharisees. They, it says, the Pharisees came to him, testing him. They're always testing him, right? And saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Say supernatural. That's supernatural right there. Amen? It's not about, you know, yes, we go down to the courthouse and in, in the state's eyes, you, you sign that, that uh, you know, certificate and whatnot, but it's, it's when you're standing before God, you know, with a man or, or the, you know, the man of God, the pastor, and he is leading you in these oaths before God, the two become one flesh. Amen? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's supernatural. You can't understand it with your mind, but if you're married, you understand what's going on here. Verse 7, he says, the Pharisees said to him, why then did Moses command, you to give, command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And here's what Jesus said. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. That wasn't how it was originally set up. Remember, we just read it. The two become one flesh, and that is something supernatural, amen? So from the beginning, it was not so. In verse 9, it says, And I say to you, whoever divorces wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So a couple words here. The word permitted. It's simply, it's giving permission, right? And it says, God gives permission for divorce, but he does not demand it, nor does he command it. And you think about that. In, in, this, in the situation of infidelity, not, not this other junk that they had, the, you know, the wife cooking a bad meal and not liking his parents and all that stuff, none of that thing. But again, in the, the instance of, of infidelity, right, you've got permission, but he doesn't demand it. Because what's the goal? Restoration. Exactly, it's restoration. How do you restore? Forgiveness, reconciliation, and then restoration. And it takes time. So we know what forgiveness is. 
You know, we could go to God for forgiveness, but this word reconciliation, I looked it up right before I come, come out, and it says, change from enmity to harmony and fellowship. That word enmity means hostility. So we're, we're changing from hostility to one another to, to harmony and fellowship. And how do we do that? Forgiveness, reconciliation, and then that brings restoration, and that's the goal. Amen? So ideally, that's what God wants to have happen in these situations is, is, is restoration. But he said, because of the hardness of your hearts, God had to permit divorce, but it wasn't his ideal situation. But see, our hardness of our hearts, when you get born again, your hard heart is replaced with a stony heart. And we know the scripture, Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart. Amen? That's what we want. We want to remove the stubborn, stony heart, and we want to have a tender, responsive heart. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Thank goodness I haven't walked through this in a marriage. But again, he's showing us that it's possible here. This is, this is God's ideal goal here. Amen? Is restoration. So again, like I started, what do you do if you find yourself in this situation where, you know, maybe there's infidelity or, or maybe you find yourself in a, 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 you know, some sort of abusive relationship, unhealthy relationship, you know, find that you're falling out of love or, or all these different things. The answer is you get help. Amen? Amen? Pastoral care. There's Christian counseling. Again, you be careful. You know who it is that you choose. Get a referral from somebody that's actually gotten help. Amen. I would start, I've sat in on a, on a few, you know, counseling, it's, or actually it's really spiritual guidance because they're going to just take you to the word of God and tell you what God's word said. So it's really not counseling. It's just telling you what it is that, that God says to do. Amen. And then it's our choice whether we line up and we follow that and we take action with that or not. Amen. But I've sat in on a, a few things like that and, and I've just sit there with, you know, eyes wide open and my jaw dropped at the wisdom that comes out. Because what's the goal? To bring restoration. Not to break things up. It's never to, you know, just the, the fallout that happens with all that. Not just in marriage, but in, you know, your, your sibling relationships and your friendships and in all of these relationships. Again, remember, it's, it's about, you know, restoring our relationship with God, having that right relationship, and having that right relationship with one another. Amen? And nobody walks the aisle. Nobody comes down the aisle thinking like, hey, three years from now, five years from now, we're going we're gonna to absolutely loathe each other and hate each other. No, and, and be hostile towards each other. That is not the goal. Amen? So restoration is possible. And that's to give hope no matter where you're at in your marriage. Amen? So forgiveness, reconciliation, and then restoration. Say walking in love. Amen. That's what we want to do is walk in love. So that's the divorce part. Now we go to, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. And we're going to talk about lying. So all the single people get to be brought in here. The lying part, right? None of us are liars. Any, any liars in here? Anybody ever told a lie? The rest of you are lying if you, if you haven't raised your hand. Amen. Matthew 5, it, it says this. Again, you have heard it was said uh, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So again, context here. We got to look at, at the time, what was the purpose of oaths? 
So, you know, an oath is, you know, nowadays it's, it's when you're a little kid, you do the pinky swear thing, right? Or, or you say, cross my heart, hope to die, or stick a needle in my eye, right? And then you know that they're serious, right? You know, or, or if they, here's a, here's a common thing, if somebody's lying, what do they say? I'm not lying. You know they're lying, right? <laughs> Otherwise they wouldn't say it. Or how about this? I swear on the Bible, or I swear on a stack of Bibles, then you really mean you're not lying. I mean, what does that have to do with anything, right? So that's using, making an oath, amen? But so he's talking here about the third commandment in Exodus 20, verse seven, just listen here. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. So that's what they were doing back then. They, they were using God's name while lying. Okay, so oaths were used for a couple different things. You know, one, it was to, to sign and seal an agreement. And there's the, the example of Abraham. So when he was basically at the end of his days, he made an oath with his servant to make sure that his son Isaac wouldn't marry into the, any of the Canaanite women. And so he had him, he had him put his hand underneath his thigh and, and they swore an oath and he said, make sure that, that um, you know, Isaac marries somebody from the homeland and where I'm from, not one of these Canaanite women because he knew that Isaac was, you know, he was the father of many nations, Abraham was, and he wanted to keep that going. So again, he made his servant swear an oath. So that was one reason it was used back then was to seal an agreement. Another thing was to settle a disagreement. So, there, you know, Abraham again, uh, two parties that weren't getting along, there was Abraham and Abimelech, and there was a well that King, King Abimelech wanted to, to basically take and utilize, but Abraham had actually set up that well. And so he went to King Abimelech, and he paid him seven lambs, and, and that showed the king then that that was actually his well. So, you know, and, and that was swearing the oath, and that was one way that they did that was to settle the agreement. So that was the purpose of them, and again, context at the time that we're at. Now, the problem was with the oaths, and, and this is why Jesus was bringing this up in the first place, is this. Number one, people lie, right? They exaggerate, they embellish, they sugarcoat, they stretch things, right? We, there's two sides, really there's three sides of the coin, heads, tails, and the side, right? His side, her side, and the truth, right? Learn that real quickly. Three sides to every story, amen? But it, it's about telling the truth. See, he wanted his people, God wanted his people to be different, right? He wanted them to keep their word and build trusted relationships. You want to break a relationship fast, lie to a person, amen? You ruin your, your credibility, you ruin that right away, one lie, and it, and it just sets you back. It can be restored, but it's going to take time, amen? Forgiveness happens in a moment, but trust takes time to rebuild. Amen. Leviticus 19, just listen to this. 19 verse 12, it says, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. So see, at this time, people had created a system where they swore by God's name to make a promise, but they weren't keeping those promises. And so that's what he said. Don't no longer swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Verse 37, he said, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And whatever else that you add onto this is from the evil one. Swearing on a stack of Bibles, right? That's from the evil one. Amen? Just let your yea be yea and your no be no. Be a person of your word. Be a person of integrity. So he's not saying not to make an oath. 
And we, we have oaths. You know, if you go into, you know, into a jury, you're, you're sworn in. You know, I'll, I'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? So help me God. And there's certain religions that they won't even let you swear because of, of these scriptures right here. They won't let you swear an oath. Amen? But, but on your wedding day, what are you doing there? You're swearing an oath before God. Amen? That's what you're doing. And you're taking an oath not with your old lady, not your ball and chain, right? Not your old battle axe, any of that stuff. It's your wife, right? The Bible says that, that she is the weaker vessel. It's talking about physical strength, not, not the other kinds of strength. Amen? And thank goodness we live in a day and age when, you know, women are, are, are you know, right alongside with us. Amen? They're, they're not inferior to us. Amen? Amen. So Jesus is simply saying this, let honesty be on your lips. Just simply tell the truth. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says this, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Again, what did I say earlier? God wants us to be different. He wants us to keep our word. A couple Sundays ago when the little kids were up here and we prayed over them, I, I shared that story quickly about the carrot, the egg, and the coffee, coffee bean. If you caught that, it was, I said if you put the carrot in boiling hot water, what happens to the carrot? It, it gets soft and mushy. It gets weak. If you put the egg in there, it gets hard. It, it hard boils. The, the hard-hearted, right? If you put the coffee bean in there, the, the coffee bean breaks down, and what's it do? It ends up changing its environment, and it ends up creating coffee. So the first two are changed by the environment. The third one, the coffee bean, changes its environment. And that's how we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to impact our environments, amen? And you can't run around and and be lying and impact your environment. We've got to tell the truth, amen? Amen. And I know a lot of times, I mean, that's one of the first things I talk to to guys about when they they come in and, and get saved is tell the truth, no matter how hard it is. You know, if you walk away and, you know, you said it was five, but it was really only three, you walk back there and you tell the person, hey, I don't know why I lied, but you know what? I, I embellish. I, I stretch the truth. I lied. And it was really only three. And you do that a couple times and that'll break lying right off you. Because I'm telling you, lying becomes a habit pattern and it's not healthy. Amen? Amen. So divorce, lying, and then we get to revenge. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You guys doing all right? All right, amen. I know this is kind of hardcore stuff. Amen. Matthew 5, 38, verse 42, it says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Yeah, right, huh? If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. This is, this is challenging stuff here. Amen. Amen? And he's talking here about Exodus 21. Just listen, verse 24. It, it says in there, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And see, God, again, the context here, God had given uh, this law to the judges of Israel back in the, in the Old Testament times. And what they, they used the law for was obviously to administer judgment like in, in a civil court of law, amen? And, and they, it was used for government and so forth. The problem is 
it wasn't supposed to be how you treated your neighbor, right? That's, that's where it always drifts into. It starts out as something good, and, and God says, hey, we have to have a law here, and so he gives them the law, but then again, they take it from out of the courtroom, and they start dealing with their neighbors this way, okay? And then they end up twisting it. They take it to the extreme. So it's like this, this day and age, you know, you ram my car, so I ram your car back, right? You poke me in the eye, I not only poke you back in the eye, but then I kick you in the leg, right? It's, it's always about one-upping because, again, we, we take things to the extreme. And that's what was happening here. They were twisting it. So God intended this to be a limit. And, and they even say that to this day, let the punishment fit the crime, not to be used for personal revenge. So, again, that's what we're talking about here is revenge. And so these limits were given to limit the vengeance and help the court court deal out punishment that was neither too strict nor too lenient. So again, let the punishment fit the crime. And hey, if you break the law, there's going to be, you know, a price to be paid for that. But when you're dealing with your neighbor, you're not using the law typically in in dealing with your neighbor. Amen? That's that's kind of the the context here. And, And what people were doing is, again, they were using it as an excuse for their acts of revenge. And pastors said this before. See, I want, I want justice for you, but I want mercy for me, right? We want God to hold other people accountable, and we want to get justice in those situations, but yet when we stand before God, we want to have mercy. Or in a court of law, we want mercy, but we want somebody else to be judged and, and have justice. Amen? And that's not what we're talking about here. So again, he said this. He said, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, let me explain what this is actually talking about. It's, it's actually not an act of violence to injure somebody. It's, it's more like an insult, okay? So you think about like a, you know, somebody that's real pious that they wear the white gloves and they, they pull the glove off and, Terry, let me, let me, no, you can stay there. But I was gonna say, you know, you can just slap them with, a, with, with, with your, your backhand on the right cheek, not to hurt him, but then what's he supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. You know, what are we gonna do typically? We're gonna flare up with that, Right? And we're going to want to fight back. That's our initial reaction. And he said, you don't do that. Now, we don't use the white glove or we don't use the backhand anymore. What do we use nowadays to insult? We use social media, right? One person says one thing, we say another. We go back and forth and insult one another. How many people have changed another person's opinion by insulting them, by slapping them on the cheek? Amen? Doesn't work. You know, there's a time and a place, Right? But the slapping on the cheek on the flip side does not talk about not defending ourselves. Some people take it out of context that way that, you know, somebody comes up and hits you with a baseball bat, you're just supposed to turn your other side and and take it again. It's, It's not talking about that whatsoever. We do have a responsibility to defend ourselves and defend our families. Amen? But we're talking here, the context he's using is talking about insults. Even the disciples, they, they carried around a sword and it was for self-defense. If, you know, they had a, a treasurer, Judas, if they, you know, he's, he's going to defend himself if robbers or thieves come and try to steal the money. He's going to defend himself. So again, that's not what he's talking about here. But Jesus said, do not resist the evil person. And you go, man, this is hard to do. But Jesus is our model. He was called a, dr- a drunkard, a glutton, an illegitimate child, a blasphemer, a madman, and on and on and on. And what did he do? He took it, right? He's our example. At the cross, the religious leaders, the very people that should have been so excited about his return, they were dead wrong in what they were doing, and Jesus was right 
What did they do? They spit on him. They, they, they tore out his beard. They had him beaten, and, and then they had him crucified. And when he's hanging on the cross, they're still mocking him and laughing at him. And he could have called down fire from heaven, legions of angels, to get himself off, and he, and he spoke not a word. And that's our example. Again, hard to follow. Very hard to follow. But the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus lives in us, amen? And we can develop self-control. And why did he do this? Hebrews 12, 2, it says, We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He was shamed, but he despised the shame and, he sat, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So imagine again, this manner of living, this, this turn the other cheek and, 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 and live this way, it was so radical and so offensive to the people that were hearing it. Because they were awaiting a, a king that was going to come in and, and have a sword and be this great leader and, and lead them into battle and overturn the Romans' authority. That's what they were looking for. And he's coming in and he's saying, no, if somebody slaps you on your cheek, turn the other cheek. Not, and not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We, we do things different. I'm the king, and this is my kingdom, and I'm telling you how it operates. That's what's going on here. Amen? Again, give justice and mercy rather than demanding it. We give out mercy. Amen? That's what Jesus did. Matthew 5.40, he goes on, he says, If anyone wants to sue you and take away your t- tunic, let him have your cloak also. And again, it's the same premise. If, you know, the way it was back then, they'd, they'd have an undershirt and then they'd have maybe a, a shirt like this and, and then maybe a sweater or a coat. And then if they got sued, you know, and, and they lost in, in court, they were to give up their tunic, their undershirt. And he said, hey, don't just give up your undershirt, your tunic, but let him have your cloak also. Basically, go the extra step. You know, love him because you were in the wrong, obviously, if you were judged in the wrong. Verse 41, it says, whoever compels you to go one mile, go two with him. And you probably heard this before, but, you know, they were under, again, Roman rulership at the time. So the Jews, you know, they, they were being oppressed. So obviously, naturally, they didn't like their, their Roman rulers, but here's how it was. You know, if you're sitting out there, if you're working, or, or maybe you're, you're chilling and having lunch, or, you know, it's Saturday afternoon or whatever, and a Roman soldier is walking by, and he says, hey, I need you to take my, my backpack and I need you to walk a mile because that was the law. The, the, the Jewish people were required to do that under, under this Roman oppression. So you've got two options here. You know what the, the first option is, is you grab the thing and a mile, I looked it up, it's about 2,000 steps. So you'd either be 10 steps ahead of him or 10 steps behind him, but you're sure, certainly not going to walk alongside this Roman soldier because you don't like this guy, right? And so you get to step you know, 1998, 1999, 2000, and you're going to pull it off and slam it down with as much, you know, grace as you can and hand it back to him without saying a word. That's the first attitude. But what does Jesus say? How does he say to act? He says, do the mile with a, with a good attitude and go an extra mile, right? So put that, back, that pack on and think about it. If you go a mile out, you got to go a mile back. If you go two miles out, you got to go two miles back. But he says, go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Not only give him your tunic, but also give him your coat and go the extra mile. That's how my kingdom works, he says. And if you want to be my disciple and live in my kingdom, this is how, it's op- how, how it op- operates. That's what he's telling them here. Again, not easy. In all these situations, I, I put myself in there. We'd, we'd want to get revenge, wouldn't we? 
And that's the audience he's speaking to as well. That's why it was so radical and so offensive. And that's why it's so important when we read the scriptures, a lot of times we just pull a scripture out, you know, and, and you look at even, even the whole women thing. Like, you think about how they were treating women at that time, and then when you read about women in like 1 Corinthians and so forth, it gives you context on why they treated the women the way that they treated them a lot of times. Amen? But you got to have the context here. Who's speaking, who's being spoken to, and what's being said. And finally, as we wrap up, it, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, I'm not going to go into detail, but, but just listen through this, and Pastor can probably expound on this maybe next week, but it says, in verse 43, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what was said. But he says, I say to you, love your enemies. What? Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He, he, he sends rain to, to water your lawn and to your non-believing heathen neighbor at the same. It doesn't stop at the fence line there, right? Amen. That's how it works. 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than, than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that word perfect, we know it means mature. This isn't about, you know, this is your, your first night here and you're expected to do all this. No, we grow in grace. The key is we grow though. We don't get there overnight, but we should be getting there over time. If you're still cursing people out after being here, you know, five plus years, there's some growth process that needs to take place. Amen? It's the reality of it. We need to keep growing. Growing in grace, growing in truth. So we're walking in love. Say this. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, and I just really want you to pay attention. And again, this is restoration in all of these areas. Divorce, lying, and revenge. If you've struggled with any of these or, or currently are, it's, it, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. But be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. It says, Share each other's burdens. And, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So what is the law of Christ? Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he goes, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of Christ. It's love. It, love loving God and loving your neighbor covers all of this that we talked about. Not easy. Not easy. But it is possible. Matter of fact, when I was putting this together after, you know, I was just sitting there at my desk and I literally put my head down. I, I, I prayed, I just said, Father, this is, this is like hard stuff. As, I'm, as I continue to uncover, because I've read through the Sermon on the Mount many times over the years, but to really, really take and unfold it this way and, and see what the context was and all that and, and how we're supposed to really be living as Christians, how we're to treat not only one another but unbelievers, you know, when, when they're dead wrong and we're in the right, and, and what is it that we're supposed to do? Does that may, mean we're supposed to be a doormat all the time? More than likely not. But again, when you read this stuff, it challenges you, it challenges me 
to live at a higher level. Amen? And I hope it does the same for you. Let's go ahead and stand up. I want to just pray for you, and then the pastor's going to come up and receive the offerings. But as I was praying, I, again, I just said, Father, like, th- this is like really hard to do. And it, and it just started coming up in my, my, my belly, you know, the scriptures, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's not to dunk a basketball or score a touchdown. That's to live a, a holy, set-apart lifestyle. We don't, we don't talk about holiness. You don't hear many messages. I'm not saying here, but, but out on the, the interwebs nowadays, out on YouTube, there's not a whole lot on holiness anymore. And I know that can get taken to the extreme. But, but God said, be ye holy as I am holy. Jesus said that, amen? He said to me this, what, this is scripture. What things are impossible with man are possible with God. And then the final thing he he brought up to my, my spirit was what he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. When, when we're weak, that's when we rest in God and we're strong. Amen? Amen. So go ahead and just bow your head and, and close your eyes here. And if, first of all, if there's anybody that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, I'd be honored to, to pray with you. And, and uh, your father, just he, he's a good dad. He wants to love you and, and build a relationship with you. And, and, and that's it. You, you come in the way that you are, and, and he'll work with you. Amen? So if there's anybody that d- d- hasn't made Jesus Christ their, their Lord and accepted him as Savior, why don't you go ahead and lift a hand, and I'd, I'd be honored again to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, I want to, again, just, just hide those scriptures in your heart. Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. Hallelujah. It's, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you for it, God. And God, if there's, there's anybody here that, that is under condemnation for, you know, a previous relationship or whatever it is, Father, I'm, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to heal their heart right now. Just a, a fresh, just refreshing a baptism of your love, God. Just, just, just wrap your loving arms of compassion around them, Holy Spirit, and just let them know how much you love them, God. Hallelujah, that, that they are forgiven, that you do separate their sins as far as the east is from the west. God, if there's anybody here that, that, that struggles with lying, just every day when they wake up, that, that they would say, today I'm going to tell the truth no matter what. And they, they go from one day to the next day to the next day, a week, a month, a year, and they change everything, God. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help them that, with that. And if anybody does st- struggle with anger and, and, and with revenge, help them with self-control, Lord. God, again, we thank you for your word. So honored, Lord, that, that you trust us with your word. We're so grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Lord. Say, just bow your head for again for a moment. <clears throat> thank you, Randy. That was absolutely awesome. I, um, I want you to make this confession. Heavenly Father, tonight I allow you to heal my relationships. I yield my will to your will. I desire all my relationships to be strong, sound, full of love, mercy, compassion, forgiveness. Father, I trust you for this. In Jesus' name. Just quietly lift your hands. Just thank you right now for that. Father, I just pray for each and every one here tonight, God, thank you that you're working in every marriage, You're working in every sibling relationship. You're working, God, in our families. Father, thank you 
Thank you for making every family here at Faith Family Church strong. Hallelujah. Strong and full of life, full of love. Hallelujah. And full of the fruit of your spirit. And we thank you now for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. 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 Why don't you thank Randy for the good word tonight. Praise the Lord. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service at 930 as well as our midweek service on Wednesday nights at 7. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.